Kevin Barrett is. He's a great friend of mine. He's been speaking on programs I've presented since uh, the the noughties. That's right. He's an academic PhD author and broadcaster. Check out truthjihad.com. And today, for the first time, Kevin is speaking to us from the wonderful nation of Morocco. Welcome back, Kevin. How are you? Hey, I'm well, Richie. It's great to be here and back with you. That's uh, fantastic. Now, I, I didn't want to attempt to pronounce the beautiful town where you and the lovely Rabia have, have moved, have relocated to. What's the name of it? How do I pronounce it? And tell us a little bit about it. It's called Saidia, uh, Saidia, you could say. It's right at the corner where Morocco meets Algeria on the Mediterranean. And it's a famous beach town. It has a 10 mile or so long beach. And it's uh, near Oujda. That's the fifth largest city in Morocco. It's an hour's drive away from Oujda. And it's, uh, it's a very nice place. And we very fortunately were far from the earthquake that hit western Morocco. So we didn't even feel it. But uh, the in-laws over in western Morocco ended up spending the night out on the street in case of aftershocks. Yeah, you've written about this on Substack. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, can I ask you this? I've, I've been thinking about this all day. I've moved a couple of times, moved country. And each time, it doesn't matter how mature I am, I have a moment, like a real depressing kind of a moment where I sit down and I kind of regret it. And I think, what have I done? And, you know, I, I really feel like a fish out of water. Have you or Rabia experienced that since you arrived in Morocco? Have you had a little moment to yourself? Uh, well, I, I've missed my previous home uh, somewhat. I don't, Rabia, not so much, but uh, I was kind of attached not so much to the United States, but to the place that we had there out in the Wisconsin River country of the driftless region of western Wisconsin. We had a, a really nice rural place with, uh, you know, swimming in the lake right outside the door, uh, kayaking right into the Wisconsin River. There was a bike path. 20 miles down the road to Richland Center where there was a mask-free cafe that kept me alive during the COVID years. There's a lot of cool stuff there. And, you know, I used to love to cross-country ski in the winter across the lake through this massive wilderness of woods along the river. So there's a lot of really, you know, extreme natural beauty uh, and opportunities to enjoy it where we used to live. And so now we're in, you know, a much nicer climate. This is a classic Mediterranean climate right on the Mediterranean. I've been swimming almost every day in the Med and having a great time. Um, but yeah, a couple of times I have sort of missed that uh, permaculture setup that we had going back in Wisconsin. Uh, nice of you to say that. Yeah, I, 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 I usually got over it after a few weeks and, and embraced my, my new life. KevinBarrett.substack.com, folks. Get on uh, the website, subscribe to it. He's got thousands of subscribers because he's an excellent writer. Whether you agree with Kevin or not is irrelevant. He's a great writer, very thought-provoking. Kevin, you've written about what happened. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? And it's terrible to see the way the media covers it, almost lustily reporting on growing death numbers. It's all they're interested in is uh, how many people have died. It's almost like a telethon thing, this what, what we call disaster porn. But there are real lives involved, of course, real people having to come to terms with it. You've written, interestingly, about um, numerology and numbers. And I've had guests on my program over the years, and I know, I know you have on Truth Jihad as well, people who study this 
and they find patterns and similarities when it comes to major global events, whether they be terrorist attacks or even disasters. What then piqued your interest about this particularly? Well, Richie, it's, you know, it was the run up to the anniversary of 9-11 and not just any anniversary, but the 22nd anniversary, 22 being a multiple of 11. And what got me interested in numerology in the first place, or at least I don't know if you'd call me exactly interested, but uh, I'm open to the possibility that there's something there, uh, was that Captain Eric May, a former U.S. Army intelligence officer who was writing op-eds for uh, NBC News up until he met me. <laughs> and uh, he met me right when he had just discovered that the official story of 9-11 was nonsense. And so he became a, a member of the 9-11 Truth Movement. And he believed that the Illuminati have an affinity for the number 11, among various other sorts of numerological signatures that they put on their uh, disasters and human sacrifice events. And he had a long uh, story about how that's the case, which I probably shouldn't completely go go through here. But I, I think, you know, some of the examples were things like there were exactly 911 days between 9-11-2001 and the March 11th or 3-11 Madrid bombings, which was the next big fake Muslim terrorist attack uh, and things like that. So anyway, so that those 11s, he claimed, were every time you see a huge terror event or a disaster with the 11s jumping out of it, that you should assume that it was the Illuminati that was behind it. So when I woke up in the morning and got the news here in Morocco that there had been a, a terrible earthquake and Rabia, my wife, quickly pointed out that the quake had struck at exactly 11.11 11 p.m., here in Morocco, which is 2211 GMT, just in time to make the headlines on 9-9, or September 9th, uh, two days before the 22nd anniversary of 9-11, all of that sort of jumped out at me, and it creeped me out especially because the night before this, I had stayed up uh, doing my radio show um, uh, uh, speaking about these uh, the numerological significance of 9-11. Uh, and that just seemed like a, a very strange coincidence. I was talking with Edward Curtin, somebody you should have on the show. He's a brilliant guy, and he wrote a great article about being swallowed up by numbers, arguing that the digital media uh, suck us in to their false digital reality in part by terrorizing us with disasters. And so we had a great conversation about that and about this numero numerology stuff. And then the next, it, it was only a couple hours after that, that the earthquake hit. And then the next day I woke up and discovered it had happened at 11-11. So, you know, I don't know what to think about all this, but I did notice it. And so I, I went ahead and, and wrote about it because my audience or some of my audience is interested in that. You're keeping an open mind though, Kevin. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you wanted to come up with, well, what could be the significance of this? Okay. There's Illuminati interest, interest in 11s. And they're behind these horrible mass slaughters. What does this mean? Well, uh, it does, you know, remind me of my friend Gordon Duff's claim that when he was in the CIA with some level of MJ-12 clearance, that's the secret UFO clearance, supposedly, he saw a CIA memo stating that among the many dozens, if not hundreds, of intelligent life forms interacting with Earth, one of them is an extra-dimensional entity that feeds on human suffering and interacts with selected humans in satanic rituals 
to uh, maximize the human suffering that it feeds on. And the CIA memo went on to say that that's actually okay. It's just part of the cosmic ecosystem. Gordon's reaction was, <laughs> okay, my ass. I mean, that's, if that's okay, what wouldn't be okay? <laughs> that's fascinating. I remember the late, great Jim Mars telling me something like that. Maybe he'd heard it from, uh, from Gordon Duff too. And can I get your opinion, Kevin, on the actual decision to cover the earthquake? Look, I'm a news guy. You know that. I came up in commercial news production and, and presentation. Obviously, the earthquake is a newsworthy event. It's something that you would want to tell people. And the UK would have people from Morocco and from North Africa, and they might want to know about this. I get it. But where I get very creeped out by, to use your excellent uh, term there a moment ago, is when they give blanket coverage to it and they keep returning to the scene and relaying awful stories and grabbing people who are at their worst moments in life, grieving, um, lamenting the fact that husband or wife is dead and their, their body is under the rubble. That isn't news, Kevin. That is not news at all. And that kind of plays to or speaks to what you've just said about trying to bring the mood or the energy of everybody watching that to bring their energy down. I'm putting it very simplistically. But that's how I see it. Mentioning on the news, look, we've had a terrible thing happen in Morocco. We've got a phone number for people who might have family in Morocco um, because there's a big Asian population in the UK or a big African population, I should say, in the UK, excuse me, right? And a Muslim population in the UK. So here we go, right? We've got a number. We'll keep you updated and we, we hope the rescue effort goes, um, you know, goes well. That's what they should do. But they turn it into a kind of um, uh, a big production, don't they? Which, which, as you said, brings the mood of everybody down. Horrible. Yes, you're, you said it beautifully, Richie. You're absolutely right. This disaster porn is just horrible. It's disgusting. They shouldn't be doing it. And I, you know, their excuse is that, well, they're, you know, bringing people the reality that's going to shake their emotions and the people will then be motivated to try to help out. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do think it's, it's a combination of, of spreading fear and bad vibes. Uh, and also they make money off it. You know, they, they get viewers. People tune in when something really bad happens. People become transfixed and they stare at these screens. And then, of course, the big media people can sell advertising time. So they're making money off this. On 9-11, of course, they, they had people sucked in watching their coverage of it and then watching the war on terror that developed from it. Uh, and they made vast amounts of money. So it, yeah, you're right. That's terrible. And they, they shouldn't do that. Like you said, they should be providing, you know, here, here's how you can help. But they don't need to be, you know, showing these grieving people and so on. Uh, the fact that the media shows up like vultures every time something terrible happens and, you know, picks at the flesh of the victims uh, is is really sad and horrible. You know, we don't really need to see that stuff to imagine, you know, the, the suffering of what it's like. And I can I, – I, my heart goes out to these people, and I, I can flash back to when I was uh, helpless. When I, I had that body surfing accident in Morocco uh, maybe four years ago or so, and I was paralyzed and washing in the surf, and the only thing I could feel was my toes and my feet, which I was using to manage to get my head above the surface for a second, take a deep breath, and then be washed around for another minute. And and I was you know I was like that for several minutes, uh, thinking that it was probably the end. And finally, some people figured out I was in trouble, and managed to pull me out. I was you know I thought I'd be paralyzed for life, and thankfully I I recovered. But knowing you know being in a situation where you're you're probably going to die, you can't really move. 
uh, and just being stuck that way for what feels like an eternity. I, I know what that feels like, and I don't need them to be, you know, showing me disaster porn to know that and to feel compassion and uh, to pray for these people. Well, Kevin, I'd forgotten about that altogether. Yeah, thank God. I remember speaking about that with you shortly afterwards on, on this program. Kevin Barrett is our guest, academic, PhD, researcher, broadcaster, kevinbarrett.substack.com, speaking to us live from Morocco today. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the name of the town. I will later on. I'll get it right eventually. Uh, great to have Kevin on the program today. Kevin, um, I was um, speaking on last night's program uh, about the interesting articles in the Times of London and the Telegraph this week about about the former Secret Service agent Paul Landis, who has come out and said, as you know, Kevin, he was standing on the running board of the car behind JFK in Dealey Plaza in 1963, November. So, so, so there he was. And he's thrown doubt on the magic bullet theory by saying that he knows that the bullet that was supposed to have passed through Connolly and Kennedy and through the wrist and all of that, that that bullet was um, was tampered with. What do you reckon to this revelation, Kevin? Is it something that we should get excited about? He's 83 now, is Paul Landis, or is it just one of those things that will be forgotten about in a couple of weeks' time? What do you reckon? Well, it's 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 hard to know because I can't imagine him coming forward and talking about this and saying the things that he's saying from the standpoint of that this is somehow going to help the cover up it's not it's it's really underlining the obvious fact that the magic bullet theory is ludicrous and always was now what he's saying is kind of strange that he's the one who took the magic bullet out of the limousine and he put it on JFK's stretcher from whence it somehow magically <laughs> once again what a magic that was yeah. a really magic transport itself over to Connolly's stretcher uh it's a very strange story if the Warren Commission were really interested in the truth, it would have interviewed him and all the other close-up and, and dirty witnesses, right? But they didn't. Uh, and he he claims he kind of just uh, felt so horrible about that day that he ignored the whole subject, and it wasn't until decades and decades later that he really understood that there was a controversy around this bullet that he himself <laughs> had moved. That's kind of hard to believe. But then again, you know, people do react differently to trauma, and so maybe he... And may, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another level of this where maybe he was, uh, told not to talk about this by somebody and maybe, you know, threatened, uh, whether explicitly or implicitly. In any case, yeah, I mean, just having the New York Times admit that the magic bullet theory is false is a big step in the right direction. And there's a really good article about this by David Talbot, who's a huge mainstream media figure who went rogue on the JFK assassination quite some time ago. Uh, and so if the mainstream media ends up having to admit that the magic bullet theory is false and the conspiracy theorists were right all along, I guess, you know, the chalk went up for our side, <laughs> whether we win the yeah. game or not, I don't know. Really interesting. And he also said, didn't he, that um, they heard other shots which were not accounted for by the Warren Commission. I mean, it's it's blindingly obvious, isn't it, to everybody with a brain who's looked at this, that there were multiple shooters placed at different locations in Dealey Plaza. And, and as well as answering that, Kevin, please, is it your belief that the fatal headshot came from ground level, maybe from a manhole um, in, in, in the street? What do you reckon? You know, I, I don't really know, Richie. I mean, the obvious thing is that it came from the front. It was an exploding bullet and it blew his brains out the back of his head. But whether it was from that manhole or from the grassy knoll, 
I'll let the you know the ex the ballistics experts uh, who are very very interested in spending vast amounts of time on those kinds of issues. I'll let yeah. them deal with it uh, because I, I you know back when I was fifteen, I studied it enough to know that the magic bullet theory is ridiculous. That Kennedy was you know had his brain, brains blown out from the front. That it was a coup d'état, and, and we pretty much know who did it. It was the same dirty wing of the CIA that works with the Israeli Mossad and global organized crime, same people basically that did 9-11 and a number of other things. Yeah, we've always disagreed on this. I've never believed that the CIA would outsource any of this stuff to Mossad or anywhere else, but I respect your right to believe what you believe in. Um, You've interpreted it differently to me, and before anybody jumps down my throat, no, I'm not scared of Israel. (laughs) I I spent plenty of time on this program criticising Israel uh, over the years. Kevin Barrett is our guest. Kevin, let me ask you this. Um, What's going on with the President of the United States? Yet again today, multiple media organisations around the world are laughing out loud at a gaffe by President Joe Biden, this time um, speaking about the US relationship with Vietnam, he kind of nods off and says, I'm going off to bed. I mean, what's happening there, Kevin? I, I, growing old is not funny. Uh, dementia, if the gentleman is suffering from that, isn't funny. I, I take no uh, pleasure in that, or, or there's no comedy in that. But why would this go on? I don't understand it. Have you got any explanation for it? Not really. I think that Biden was brought on board as a way to get rid of Bernie Sanders. The billionaires who dominate the Democratic Party didn't want Bernie Sanders to be the nominee. So they had a number of attempts, you know, fallback positions and stuff. And that final fallback position was to unite around Biden. And they're able to do that by having a machine and a sympathetic electorate in South Carolina for that crucial primary uh, but I don't think they really necessarily thought through the age issue back when they picked Biden as their anti-Bernie Sanders guy. And and now, you know, there's a great article at the UNS Review by Ron Unz about the comparison. You know, he compares the USSR with its uh, sclerotic leadership, people like Brezhnev and Andropov. And those guys were spring chickens compared to, you know, Biden and Dianne Feinstein, who's even more far gone than Biden. And, uh, and I guess Nancy Pelosi just announced that she's running for re-election and probably she'll keep running until she's dead and maybe even another few years after that. And <laughs> so Ron, Ron Unz points out that, that you know, we're, we're, it's like a rerun. It's like the USSA, a rerun of what happened to the USSR, where this ancient sclerotic leadership, you know, really uh, a corrupt society where the cracks were getting bigger all the time. Uh, the empire was falling apart and finally, it, it you know, it fell apart under this leadership of these ancient geezers. And that's exactly what the U.S. is doing now. And plus the you know, situation in terms of information control. You know, the USSR was a very censored society, to say the least. And they tried to keep denying reality right up until the end. And the U.S., I think, is in the same position now. And again, read Ron Unz's article about that at the Unz Review, which is unz.com. Loads of interest in you, Kevin. There always is on the program. Thanks for that. Can I read a couple of messages on numerology? Uh, This is from Layla. Hi, Layla. Thanks for this. Richie, listening to Kevin, I've heard that along with 22 and 33, the number 11 is the bringer of spiritual awareness and a devout supporter of humankind. It is supposed to represent illumination, a channel to the subconscious insight without rational thought and sensitivity. That's from Layla. Now, this one... 
uh, from Terry. Terry says 23 is a major number within Freemasonry. Julius Caesar was stabbed 23 times and murdered in 44 BC. Maybe next year will be the big one. But I suppose, Kevin, if later this year or next year we get a massive geopolitical event around terrorism or something, we'll be reminded, won't we, of um, this conversation today for sure. Well, that's right. That reminds me of Robert Anton Wilson's uh, discussion of the number 23. Of course, his his law of 23s was that if you're looking for the number 23, you'll probably find it. But he also acknowledged that there's a kind of Freemasonic element there. And and I should have mentioned that, of course, because the Illuminati is uh, supposedly a particular sort of extra nihilistic and revolutionary wing of Freemasonry. And, and the Freemasons are you know, allegedly uh, working with, you know, off-planet entities of some kind uh, for whatever long-term historical purposes that they're, they're serving. So, yeah, that's, I, I try to keep an open mind on all that stuff, and I don't have the security clearances or the Freemasonic uh, initiation level to know for sure. Yeah, a Mason once offered me, well, said to me that he would propose me for membership. This was in Nottingham about 11 years ago. And obviously low-level stuff, basically, that, you know, I was going to take over a business in Nottingham and that um, my my chances of success would be greatly succeeded by networking, Kevin. So uh, it never came to pass anyway. Although uh, some of those um, independent media consumers who don't like me, and there are many of them, uh, they believe that maybe I'm telling porkies and that I did join the Masons, Kevin, but uh, I didn't. <laughs> I joined the Masons at all or anything like it. Come here and I tell you, this um, this um, interests me as well. Kevin Barrett is our guest, folks. So Kim Jong-un, then the leader, the North Korean leader, has taken an armoured train to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Now, before Kevin takes over and gives us his tuppence worth, I despise Vladimir Putin just as much as I despise the leaders of this country and the leaders of the United States of America. Now, a lot of people can't understand this. They really can't because they because they think that I'm on the right side of a lot of stuff like Syria and stuff like that. And yes, I'm glad that Russia prevented or helped to prevent, um, you know, the 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 fascists uh, overthrowing Bashar al-Assad. Of course, I was happy, but I believe Vladimir Putin to be a gangster. I believe the Russian people are just as much controlled uh, and and under the jackboot as it were as we are. So I don't like any of them. But I'm fascinated as to what you think about that, Kevin. Kim Jong Un is meeting with him. They are nuclear countries or nuclear powers, and Western media is absolutely aflame with talk about this is terrible and the usual scaremongering is ongoing. What's going on with Kim Jong-un meeting with Vladimir Putin, in your opinion? Is there anything to be concerned about? Well, I think you have to understand that both Russia and North Korea are victims of insane American imperial expansionism. Uh, Korea was practically bombed back to the Stone Age. The, the survivors of the American bombing of Korea during that war survived because they, they were living in caves. Uh, the country was leveled. A huge proportion of the population was murdered. The Americans used all kinds of biological weapons as well. That truth has trickled out. And that traumatized them so much that, you know, they ended up with this uh, North Korean garrison state that they have now that's based on basically, you know, this trauma that they experienced from the United States. And so they don't want to knuckle under to this evil American regime that did this to them. And I don't blame them. Uh, on the other hand, I, I'm not saying that the North Korean government model is my ideal, not, not by a long shot. You know, traumatized people 
create problematic regimes. The Algerians are another example of that. I won't get into that. You know, the Algerian government recently killed a couple of Moroccan jet skiing tourists. And I, I wrote a whole piece about how there's a national trauma in Algeria that leads to this kind of behavior with their, their corrupt military. But, you know, similarly, North Korea has this traumatized regime. And, and Russia, too, is trauma, has been traumatized by repeated invasions from the West, Napoleon and Hitler being two of the most famous. And now the American empire is pushing right up to their borders, putting a first strike nuclear arsenal that has, it's not designed to retaliate. The American nuclear doctrine is we are going to shoot first with nuclear weapons, whether you like it or not. They're putting five minute nuclear weapons right next to Moscow. These have gotten more and more stealthy and accurate every year. Russia is up against the wall with an American gun pressed to its skull. And that's why Putin did what he did. Now, do I like what he did? No. Do I understand why he did it? Absolutely. Would I do the same thing in his place? Probably so. I would have to. What else could I do other than resign? And so, you know, when Putin and, uh, you know, Russia and North Korea get together to try to resist psychotic U.S. imperial, you know, massacres, and the U.S. has massacred, Richie, 60 yeah. million, mostly civilians since World War II in these imperial escapades. Uh, you know, we met the enemy and he is us. He is the Americans. And when Russia and North Korea defend themselves against the United States, even if I don't always like the kinds of regimes that you have to have when you're defending yourself against the world's biggest gangster, I have to be cheering for them. You won't, you understand why. Yeah. Because five minute nuclear weapons stationed or positioned around Russia is beyond provocation. It's tantamount to insanity. And the military industrial complex and the men and women who work within it and their lackeys in politics, they are either the most evil people on planet Earth or they are patently insane, Kevin. Did you see last week U.S. defense secretaries and U.S. secretaries of state were on television talking about providing depleted uranium ammunitions to Ukraine to blow up Russian tanks. We know exactly what depleted uranium munitions uh, result in. We only have to think about Fallujah, don't we, in Iraq? Yeah, yeah, lots, huge numbers of birth defects. And, and Russia is already uh, attacking these stores of depleted uranium munitions in Ukraine. It's a complete disaster. Yeah, it's, it's really embarrassing. This, and it's, it's disgusting. And this is one of the reasons I left the USA and I'm not particularly unhappy about it. As much as I love that place in Western Wisconsin that I was talking about earlier on the show, it's just such an evil country. It's run by such evil gangsters, the worst monsters in history. They make Hitler and Stalin look like Mother Teresa. They're, they're that bad. That's why I can't live there anymore. Apparently mother, apparently mother Teresa wasn't great either now, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, so man, that's a backhanded compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're right, look, 60 million, because there will be people who will email me later on and say it's outrageous that you left Barrett away with comparing the US to Hitler. But you're right, 60 million that we know of civilians murdered in, in, in the last 70, 80 years. And those were people who had a right to life. They had a right to expect when they got out of bed that day that they would go about their business without some foreign power from 3,000 or 10,000 miles away launching missiles at them and blowing blowing them to pieces. I mean, it's unimaginably evil, Kevin. I'll agree with you. Seven minutes to the top of the air. Kevin Barrett is our guest. In the few minutes we have left now, my friend, uh, the talk is ramping up again, particularly in the United States, about restrictions coming in to offset or to uh, to deal with 
COVID variant waves this autumn and winter and people are getting a bit nervous. Now, you've moved to the beautiful country of Morocco. I can say this because uh, my better half and I travelled, Caroline, and I travelled a little bit in Morocco when we lived in uh, very southern Spain. Beautiful place. The people amazing. Couldn't do enough forest. It was it was lovely to visit Morocco. Um, what do you think? How do you have you looked into how the Moroccan government approached COVID? And what do you think about it? And what would you expect if the World Health Organization started putting out diktats about new variants? What do you think you might be subjected to in Morocco? You know, I think it was pretty similar to to the U.S., maybe not quite as bad as Europe. Uh, I think the, the government here in Morocco tends to be kind of conservative and pragmatic and you know they want they don't particularly want to join the list of these countries where 60 million people have been murdered and so they've always been, maintained good relations with the US there's kind of a tradition here of maintaining good relations with the US Morocco was the first country that recognized the independent United States of America and so there's been a kind of a bond there uh, and so during covid Unfortunately, in my opinion, the Moroccan government followed the standard U.S. approach, the WHO guidelines for the most part, but it did so in a more, in a Moroccan way, which is a more relaxed way. You know, if you come through Morocco, you'll notice that the security people are friendly and human. They'll smile, you know, not like these TSA guys in the USA who will generally, you know, scowl at you for the most part or keep a very stiff upper lip as they, as they pat you down and they'll kind of grope you as they do it. In Morocco, they'll find an excuse not to grope you and they'll, they'll smile as they avoid the groping. You know, so the whole, uh, society is overall a lot more relaxed. And like I have a cousin here who actually, no, that's my brother-in-law was the one who was able to avoid uh, a supposedly imposed COVID shot. He was, a, he's a teacher. And they were supposed to get the COVID shot and the vaccine shot to uh, keep their jobs. And he he held out and he said, can you promise me absolutely that I won't have any bad reaction? And he went through a couple of levels of bureaucracy. And finally, they said, you're right. No, we can't promise you. So we won't force you to take it. Fascinating. That's fascinating. So he said, listen, you cannot give me informed. I cannot give you informed consent because you can't guarantee me I won't become unwell. And eventually, to their credit, they said, fair enough, you've got us there. Wow, Kevin. Because that wasn't the case in the UK or in the United States. It was a case of tough shit, Paddy. If you don't have it, you're not going to keep your job, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, even though Morocco inherited a kind of top-heavy bureaucracy from the French, it's a more humane bureaucracy than your average bureaucracy. These are, are regular people. And, you know, they're, and they're a little bit relaxed. And for the most, most of them are not, you know, trying to inflate their self image by giving you a hard time and forcing you to see how your whole life depends on their decision about how to dispose of your case, which is the case of, you know, a lot of bureaucrats are like that. Moroccan bureaucracy, it's, it's, it's a pain to navigate. And, you know, I'm trying to get a residency permit right now. And my, uh, my kids are trying to become citizens and there is a bit of a gauntlet to run. But there's there's still a level of humanity here that I really like at all levels of society. People still get together and talk, you know, lots of socializing, uh, you know, shopping in the open air markets in the souk rather than walking around like zombies in the shopping mall in a George Romero zombie movie. So it's 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 generally it's it's a good place. I mean, I, you know, once I get the language down, you know, I, I learned formal Arabic better than Moroccan Darija, and so that you know, getting fluent in Darija is going to be a project. 
that I think once I get there, I'll be really happy here. This program will be on air nine years this coming Friday, but I've known you before then, and uh, you've been gracing my shows um, for, for years and years and years. So on behalf of the listeners, obviously on behalf of myself and uh, Caroline, we want to wish you and the fabulous Rabia nothing but the best of everything and the happiest life you could ever live in your time in Morocco. It'll be a fabulous success, Kevin. I really do mean that. KevinBarrett.substack.com um, Send all the positive vibes in the world out to Kevin and Rabia as they embark on this chapter in their lives. Kevin, I know you'll be back on again soon. Thanks for coming on, pal. Thank you, Richie. God bless you and keep up the great work. You too, Kevin. As I said, kevinbarrett.substack.com for the articles Kevin referred to, truthjihad.com. Listen to his radio shows. They are terrifically put together, well put together, uh, thought-provoking, and it's good to be challenged because I sometimes hear things I don't necessarily agree with, but that's a good thing. Kevin Barrett on Tuesdays, Richie Allen.